Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Good afternoon, and thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. Um, today, is uh, we're going to open with me and Mr. R.L. Frazier. My name's Kylie Miller. How are you today, Mr. R.L.? Hey, I'm doing good, Kylie. Getting okay. ready to enjoy this 4th of July that's coming up. I'm looking very much forward to the holiday myself. So uh, so what's been going on this week? What have you been seeing? I guess we can start with corn. Well, yeah, I've been looking at some corn fields with some producers and trying to make a decision on whether to keep irrigating or, or is he far enough along, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm telling him he's still got a long way to go yet, not to stop. Uh, looked at some cotton whoa man just kind of blowed me away how good it looked and uh and some beans they're 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 blooming good and podding up so uh, and of course we got some that's just coming out of the ground so we're kind of all over the board there yeah um down our way you know a lot of guys have been getting getting some good rains and a lot of us are kind of missing out on them, wishing we could catch one yeah. But, you know, and when it comes to what we're doing, I mean, there's there's guys right now putting out fungicide on soybeans, spraying spraying for some stink bugs if they have R5 beans or, you know, older. But, um, and the cotton crop looks good just driving around, and and I hadn't gotten a chance to walk out in any of it yet, but, um, but it sure does look good from the highway. And uh, corn, they're just watering it and trying to move it along. So it's getting close to that time where people will start getting their combines out and I guess start getting them ready. Yeah, like I said, the fields we were in the other day, you know, they're beginning to dent pretty good, still kind of a, you know, real soft. The kernel's still soft. He's still got a ways to go, but mm-hmm. I don't think he had enough moisture to carry him, so we're going to try to water. Uh, you know, trying to get some more, you know, still trying to figure out these moisture sensors and how they're to, when I need to water and don't need to water in these peanuts. But uh, yeah, you've got the peanuts up there. I'm telling you, you know, it's 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 an interesting deal. But you know, they're looking good. They've lapped the middles in most places, and really starting to put on some some pretty good sized nuts underneath them. So mm-hmm. we're tickled to death with where we're going with them. What time of year do you harvest peanuts? Well, I think that if I remember correctly, they told me they were a 140 day crop. They planted them late April, so. What's that? September? Okay. My math right? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Somewhere in that, I think about September, what would that be? Okay. August, September in that area, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just curious if it would come off kind of like if if you would rotate that with corn, if you know, or, or soybean. well, I guess maybe not soybeans, but something like that, you know, you know how that would work into the schedule because, yeah. you know. That would be a great crop to fit in down here if you have the soil type for it. Yep, yep. So anyway, so we're doing that, and uh, you mentioned the showers, spotty showers. Boy, there we've got some places that seem like they can just count on a half inch to three quarters inch of rain every week, and then some places couldn't buy a rain if they needed. You know, had the money. <laughs> That's us down here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Still trying to, you know, like I said, put check on some sensors and trying to get some guys to using those sensors and mm-hmm. uh, kind of myself this week kind of got into a, well, 
with some of these sensors, you know, and making yourself trust them. That's the hard part sometimes. Yeah, it's it's definitely a learning curve when you first get them. So. Uh, been seeing a lot of bears on the move too. Uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> How many bears down this way? I ran How into two of them. Seen? Two of them in two days. I seen one Monday and one Tuesday. Uh, one in Tinsall Parish, and I tell you what, now that must have been old Yogi himself, because he was standing up, and he was literally watching the traffic go by, and when the cars quit coming, he walked across the road to the uh, cornfield. Mm-hmm. That's usually where I see most of my bears at, is on Highway 4 in Tinsall Parish. So. Mm -hmm. And then the, the second one I seen was a young bear. Uh, up on that uh, East Carroll, West Carroll, Richland Parish line, he was actually headed into a cotton field. I don't know what he was after there, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Must be mating season the way they're moving around. All right. All right, everybody. I'm here with Dr. Donnie Miller, who's the research coordinator and weed scientist here, weed scientist here at the Northeast Research Station. And we're going to talk about a field day we got coming up. Uh, Donnie, what we got going on? Well, Dennis, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my stop. You know, there'll be various stops along the way. My particular area of concentration is going to be weed control in a rotation, a rice, specifically a rice-soybean rotation. Uh, which, you know, when you're rotating crops, the last thing you want to do is do a good job in one crop of controlling weeds uh, and things like that, and all of a sudden in the next crop, not have as good weed control and you have problems when you switch back to the other crops. So you, you, it affords you the opportunity to control some of the weeds that you can't control in rice using some herbicides that you cannot use in, in rice. Uh, and obviously wanted to focus on some of the newer technologies and with the, the recent commercialization of the, uh, the Enlist soybeans, we wanted to look at some Enlist cropping systems out there. Uh, Enlist, as most of you know, is a 2,4-D technology, a new formulation, a choline 2,4-D that uh, uh, Soybeans can tolerate very well. In addition to this, they can also tolerate glyphosate and glufosinate. So you have a, a number of modes of action you can use with help us in resistance management. Uh, the weed control is, and that's what we're going to show on the field day, a little bit of tolerance to show that the beans are tolerant. Mm -hmm. You know, the 2,4-D yeah. formulations are tolerant to liberty or tolerant to glyphosate. Uh, also going to show them that they are not tolerant to dicamba. There is no cross-resistance, and that's okay. going to be, that's gonna well, be that's, very that's obvious. A, I'll show them where the beans were. Well, but, uh, that's a good deal, too, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to show them the weed control. I mean, this it, system provides us with, with a very good weed control. You know, if you have glyphosate resistance, you have the glufosinate component in there, 2,4-D component in there. So uh, it's just a, an, excellent, uh, uh, an excellent system. You know, another thing that you're concerned about when you talk about crop rotation is you don't want to use anything that'll paint you in a corner to not be able to use a rotational crop mm -hmm. next year. Yeah. You don't want to put something in soybeans that's going to be an 18-month recrop to rice. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't want to do yeah. that. So uh, these, the, this system, like the other technologies, offer you that opportunity. Uh, you, you know, you can throw a metolachlor a, a, a in there, something like mm -hmm. that, give you residual control. You don't have to worry about recropping next year to mm -hmm. rice and with the, the 2,4-D and so forth. So very, very effective programs in soybeans. It works well in a, in a rice rotation. Okay, well, good. Now, I know this, this field day is mainly focusing on, when we're talking about rice, in this case, for this, for this field day, we're talking about row rice, right? Right, right. Yes, sir. And uh, we've got... I know Dr. Josh Copes has got some stuff back there. You've got some. And in your case, 
I think we've kind of, I don't know if there's been any real research, but just anecdotal, soybeans and rice are a good rotation because the herbicides keep the other crop. What you spray in one crop keeps the other crop clean. Is that kind of where we're... That's, that's exactly right. That's, that's exactly correct. It offers you the opportunity to control weeds in one system that you can't in the other. Especially, use of a different herbicide, yeah. different perhaps different modes of action. Yeah. So it, it's very beneficial to rotate those two crops. Yeah, and, and, and so, I mean, like uh, pigweed, for example, dual, in soybeans, dual con- as a residual helps yep. control pigweed. Uh, prowl in a row rice situation would help control pigweed. So you're not, you, they complement each other. I guess you can say they complement each other and help each other along in the weed control. You know, because rice, you're talking about grass. Well, you can really clean them up with Roundup in, in, in the soybeans to carry into the rice for the next year, right? That's exactly right. And, and what you're doing, in essence, is you're never, you're reducing the opportunity for those plants to set seed. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, a good rotation that'll keep knocking one weed back in each crop, you have the potential to lower the seed bank. And yeah. over a number of years... You, you know, you should theoretically not have as big an issue with, with dense populations as you can with just a mm-hmm. monocrop system, especially rice. Just constant, just constant, constant, you know, everything going to seed that you're going to miss. But we have technologies really in both crops now that mm-hmm. allow us to have, you know, real good control and keep things at bay from a weed yeah. management standpoint. Well, and, and, and row rice is, is, we're growing it as an upland crop. Right. So really you have... A different spectrum. You don't have the normal. I guess you have the normal rice weeds, but you also have tea weeds, pig weeds, and so those take a little bit different handling. You know, the row rice is is big on residuals, right? You know, and so I just see that's just that rotation just falls in there really good as far as herbicides and weed control. Absolutely, and the new technology doesn't mean that the, the residuals don't have a place there as well. Mm-hmm. In the in the enlist system, in the uh, extend system, systems like that, you still see the benefits, especially with weed resistance issues. You see yeah. the benefit of having residuals out there. You know, you get delayed for weather situation, weather events. It's good to have a residual out mm-hmm. there. We always say it's cheap insurance. I don't know if there's anything cheap in agriculture anymore, <laughs> no. but it, you know, it's, it's it's insurance out there to, to protect against that. And when you can use it, like you said, in a, a row system in rice, you have certain herbicides you can use relying a lot on residuals. You have these technologies mm-hmm. in soybeans where you can use residuals if you want, but they're they're good enough if you can make timely applications to small, actively growing weeds, like every label says. Yeah. You know, you can stay on top of it there. Well, see, that's that to me. That's 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 the nice thing about row rice. Seems in talking to farmers. Because most of most everybody they grow beans. Everybody up here grows right, soybeans. Right. They have some soybeans, and we all pretty much everybody's got some heavy land. It's irrigated. Row rice gives them an alternative crop to mix with the soybeans, and uh, you know it's I guess it's all about diversification. You have a cotton, corn, soybeans, and now perhaps row rice is an alternative. I don't think it's going to re- take over. You know, like I don't think it's going to replace anything. But I think it's just another good alternative for the people that want to go with it and have the capacity for it. That's exactly right. And like I said, with the number of soybeans growing, it's just a, it's just good natural rotation. Yeah. Uh, working the rural rice in with, with you know soybeans obviously grown on rows. So yeah. uh, it, it works fantastic. And, and we come along with the technology from weed management just makes it that much more you know doable, I well, guess. Right. Well, that, that's great. I'm gonna, um, one other thing, a couple other things about the field day. Now, you, it, it's going to be an open registration at 4.30 so people can come 
And just self-tour the station, right? That is correct. Uh, people can get here. Registration periods going to be from 4.30 to 5.30. So they'll have an hour to self-tour the station. We'll have a lot of research projects that will be mm-hmm. signed out there so people can be able to see, you know, the, the researcher that is conducting the research, what they're mm-hmm. conducting, uh, self-guided tour on their own so that when they come back up and we start the field tour, after the field tour, they can see that particular researcher if they yeah. have any questions, any interest in that research, and just have a face-to-face dialogue, follow up with a phone call, email, text, whatever well, way they want after the field yeah. day. Well, I'm, we're sitting here in the conference room, and there's a whole whole table full of signs, I'm assuming, that are, that are going out. Tuesday morning, to, we're going to have signs all over the station. That's exactly correct, and it's the self-guided tour. You know, we decided we wanted to put that out there. People can stop and get out and look if they want. And like I said, it offers a chance for them to follow up with the researchers, see the mm-hmm. actual projects that are, are going on. We're like every other research station. I mean, yeah. we, there's a million projects going on here, and this sign will kind of tell them the research we're doing, and they can follow up accordingly. Now, one thing a little different about this, this, this tour is basically confined to one field on the station and we're going to have some signs out we're actually going to have people once they finish the self-guided tour they're going to actually drive their trucks or car to the end of the field and then the trailers will be just there Um, we'll have some water on them and hopefully have a little shade for them to where we can just everybody gather up there and then tour just just that one field all the row rice your soybeans are there Uh, james hendrick's summer cover crops um they're all there. Um, I know Josh has got some variety by fertilized testing. Of course, that big chunk in the middle is that fertigation. And I've seen you riding down there watching us fertigate. Absolutely, that yeah. And that is a true work in progress because we have we're struggling. We're, every time we've done it four times, we fertilized four times. No, we practiced once, fertilized three times, and every time's a little different. We're getting the system <laughs> worked out. And it's uh, that's what research is all about. That's it absolutely is. I mean, correct. It's, uh, and we. At one time, when we put the dye in there, at least it was colorful. Right, I mean, absolutely. We had, dye, we had red dye all over five acres back there. I don't know, I don't know how it got so far, but it, we were everywhere. With a- absolutely. And, you, know, you know, one time at the station, up till a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we had what you'd think the traditional field day. Just, yeah. You know, large. We have eight stops along the way throughout the entire station, put people on trailers and so mm-hmm. forth. And I guess... We're, you know, facing the same situation that most people are facing with these field days, just attendance. Yeah. You know, today a producer can pick up his phone. He can call you. He can YouTube it. He can go on the Ag Center mm-hmm. website. He can download it. He can le- listen to this podcast yeah. all day long. So they have the information there. So what we've decided is kind of have a more focused field day, you know, one area where they can gather, mm-hmm. run them through right quick. Uh, kind of focus on, on the, the three areas we're focusing on right now and, and see if that's the way to go with the, the, the field day format in the future. Well, that's, it's, I think it's a good idea. Maybe it's a way we're doing it, like I say, the, the actual row rice, the field day part, starts at 530. Um, we'll gather at the field. We'll have, uh, we have an agenda. If somebody needs an agenda, just call me or, I can, or, or Donnie, and we can send you an agenda. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. We we we'll just kind of roll along with pretty quick talks. We know it's going to be warm, but we're going to try and have some shade, a little shade over the trailers to see if they can help that, at least give you a little bit of break from the sun. And we'll do that. And then afterwards, we'll come back up here to the auditorium and we'll have supper for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We invite everyone to, uh, to attend and hope to see everyone out there. Good deal. Well, thank you. Thank you, Donnie. And we appreciate it. We look forward to seeing everybody next Tuesday at 530 here at the Northeast Research Station for the row rice and soybean tour. Thank you.
Thank you, Dennis and Donnie, for that. Um, let's start wrapping things up here today with some upcoming events, and, and we'll close with our question of the day. So just to kind of go back and talk, you know, remind you about what Dennis and Donnie discussed about was on July 9th we'll have the Northeast Region Field Day. Um, it's going to be a row rice and soybean tour. Um, you'll get to hear from Trey, Steve, and Josh. And then there'll be a farmer's panel, if I remember right. Is that correct, Mr. R.L.? Uh, yes, if, if they, okay. we don't lose them all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so you'll get to hear from some people that actually have grown the row rice. And, uh, and then I think Mr. James Hendricks is going to cover cover crops as well. Um, on July 8th will be the Northeast Region Rice Field Day. And that's going to start at 8.30 at Jason Waller's Farm. And if anybody needs directions or needs a flyer for that event just reach out to one of us and we'll get that in your hands um and then then we'll move to marouge for the indoor part of that sessions and close with lunch and then lastly we'll have sweet potato field day on august the 22nd i think it starts at 8 30 as well and um that'll be at black gold in delhi okay all right so let's move on into our question of the day so um, the question that we got asked this week was, why do we think we should be using moisture sensors, or why are moisture sensors so important, even if it's a rainy season? So what do you think about that, Mr. R.L.? Okay. I've been trying to understand moisture sensors and working with them for the last seven or eight years, and sometimes I think the more I, I work, the, <laughs> the more confused I get. But the moisture sensor just gives you an idea of what kind of moisture you have in the soil, available moisture. You know, it, it, it's not a true science. It's, it's an art to learning to read them. Uh, but it gives you a basis. And I mentioned earlier in our interview about it, they kind of confused me this week and learning to trust them. We've had some out that, you know, you get a half inch rain and you, that first sensor is at six inches and you never see it change. And the question is, why? Mm -hmm. Well, what it's telling you, or at least telling me, and, and you really get to digging down, checking with it, and it kind of backs up what the sensor is telling you, that half-inch rain that we thought was really doing us a bunch of good, or an inch rain when we were dry, is not really moving but about three to four inches in that soil. It's not getting down to that six, eight, and ten inches. You know, just a single rain. Uh, it kind of perks everything up and cools it off, but it's not really getting any moisture down. You know, it, now, where you are got moisture, you get a half to three-quarter inch, yeah, it helps maintain it. But when you're looking at those sensors, it just, it, and that's where you have to back up and say, are they right? Mm -hmm. and, but you learn to trust them. They're there, you know. Yeah, you they're they're electronics and every now and then and I had one of those to go bad this year. You know, it just kept getting drier and drier. It got unbelievably high, mm -hmm. but I changed it out and it come back down within a reasonable range. I mean, you know, they're electronics; they will fail. But you have to learn to trust them. You you know, and 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 then go back and use some common sense, dig down in that soil. But it tells you what's available. You know that, and it really opened my eyes to how much, how deep, or how little percolation we get from a small rain versus a good long soaking rain. Mm -hmm. uh, 
even under a center pivot last year, I got into it. Uh, an inch of water with a center pivot in a cornfield, it was muddy on top. I mean, literally was bogging trying to get to the sensors. But it was never making it past four inches deep. And the only way I could prove that to me and the producer was, was install another sensor at four, leave the one at six. And every time that pivot would come over, it would pick it up on the four. But the only time he had ever moved that 16th sensor was once he had just got through water and then got a like an inch and a half or two inch mm -hmm. rain mm -hmm. like within six or eight hours after that one inch of irrigation then it soaked down to that six inch and then you know got plenty of rain afterwards so it, it'll, it'll open your eyes and it'll make you question whether they're right or not but you have to Trust them, but also be able to verify it by doing a little, taking a shovel or something and digging down and just seeing how deep. It, it'll surprise you sometimes how little movement you have in that soil profile with a half, even an inch of rain if you're dry enough. Yeah. And one of the things, just to add to what you're saying, too, that, you know, I thought was really interesting just, you know, playing around with the ones we have, you know, after you get done after it rains or whether you irrigate it or, or it rains, it was also interesting to see, like, how long that water lasted. You know, yeah. for instance, if you have corn, you know, how many days does it take to pull that water out to get dry again? You sure. Know? So, you know, of course you're picking up trends and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's also good to help you make those decisions so you can see, you know, what you're dealing with, what you've got, and, you know, Maybe, maybe you need to turn that water on again, you know? So. That's it. And you just hit on it. It's a trend. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. It's not a silver bullet. You can't just automatically do it. But you, if you will watch them, watch those trends, see how much is pulling, and irrigate when you need it. A lot of times, you know, we, we, we've managed to save an irrigation and at $11 an acre, one irrigation on a field can, can could sometimes be the difference between a, a marginal profit and a good profit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think we can end this right here, and uh, we appreciate everyone uh, joining us today and listening to hear what we have to say. All right. So remember to tune in next week. We thank you all. All right. Have a happy fourth. Safe fourth. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.